The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, we've got a pretty heavy show today. It's the aftermath of molestation and rape, and this is a very uh, serious show obviously uh by the topic but you know it's it's a very complex uh topic because child molesters and rapists come in all flavors of people and to f- try to figure out how to detect who is in that family and who is not is very, very difficult um, because you have to read the signs. And even doing that, you may not prevent something from happening. But what this show is basically trying to do and what I'm trying to do with it is give you some of the signs and the indications of the profiles of people that do this kind of stuff. Also, the uh, the tools that you need to deal with it if you have been molested or raped in your life. And also, the idea of how to better protect your children. So, you know, all we can do is give statistics. All we can do is basically frame up the thought process of these kinds of people and the experiences of these kind of people. But that's what I want to do with this show, to give you more information and also to help people who have experienced this kind of thing heal. So let's get into it. You know, yeah, child molestation, uh, molestation uh, first off, is a crime. And uh, it's a range of indecent and sexual activities between an adult and a child, usually under the age of 14 years old. And, and in psychiatric terms, these acts are always somehow called a pedophile. And it's important to keep in mind that child molestation and child sexual abuse refer to specific uh, defined actions. Uh, they do not uh, make up uh, a motive. They don't give you the sense of what the motives are. But what they do is they take up the, in- the information that, hey, any kind of act, sexual act, if it's rape, molestation, whatever it is, especially with a child, is illegal. And so when we talk about child molestation, uh, we have to kind of understand what it is. And what it is is, is any sexual contact with a child. Many children who are molested are too young to know what is happening, and they may not even fight back. So some abusers use the child's cooperation in these cases as evidence that no one was harmed. And so, you know, some examples of child molestation might include fondling, uh, demanding sexual favors from a child, and even, God forbid, uh, rape. But, you know, living in here in the United States, and here's some statistics just from the United States, uh, 39 million adults who have survived child abuse live in the United States at this point. 
Uh, today, more than 3 million American children are victims. Most of them are children struggling alone, believing there is no adult who can help them, uh, you know, to help prevent child molestation from happening to children closest to you. Uh, begin by telling, you know, people the facts just like I'm telling you. Uh, you know, professionals and physicians can't stop uh, molestation and rape. We get the aftermath of molestation and rape. So, you know, th- the deal is, is that you want, you want to be able to talk to your children about sex and about what is good and what is bad, what, it, what to expect, what not to expect, what is illegal and what is bad. And you need to express in terms that it, you have to have an open dialogue with them about this and that they should not be ashamed of this topic, that it's something that everyone in this life is challenged with, which is sexuality. The other thing is a lot of people uh, um, are not uh, in their families, do not want to face the idea that someone in their family is a molester. You know, uh, the deal is uh, most of today's children will never tell when something happens, especially if it happens within their own family. They feel ashamed that it's happened to them. They're protecting the abuser because they're part of their family. And then they're also protecting other members of their family, saving them from the pain of knowing. That's a heavy burden for kids to carry. And I can tell you it messes up a lot of them in their adult life because then they begin not to trust others. And they have a lot of issues around that. You know, many people stick to their mistaken belief that child molestation has nothing to do with them. But the truth is, it, it, it permeates our society. It exists in many, many families. And it has to be taken up because the fact is, these molesters, if you hide it, they're going to come across other people and continue to molest and continue to rape and continue to do this across the board throughout their lives, affecting so many other people when it could be stopped when somebody actually recognizes, hey, this is a problem. You know, um, when we start looking at a child molester, we have to understand what that is. And, and that is a, a, a older child or an adult who touches a child for his or her own sexual gratification. Um, it's the act of sexually touching a child a child is, is, a, is a girl or a boy who's 13, of age, 13 years of age or younger. And the age difference between a molester and a child is generally five years. So a 14-year-old older child sexually touching a 9-year-old, as an example, uh, this, is a, this is a definition of molestation. Sometimes uh, it, older children, younger children, like a 3-year-old and a 6th grader, or, or a, a fourth grader or a third grader could be something that could be considered a molestation. But it's something that needs to be confronted. And, and we have to, as a society, be brave enough to step up to it. Sexual abuse is common, particularly for women and girls. 90% of all rapes are committed against women. One in six women are experiencing experience rape at some point in their life. One in five girls, one in 20 boys experience childhood sexual abuse of some kind. Sexual abuse and and, and sexual assault are are umbrella terms used to refer to a number of sexual crimes. So these kind of crimes include rape, which is basically, and I've got to define these things, 
Forced sexual contact from someone who does not and cannot consent. Forcing sex upon someone who does not want it, who is intoxicated, who is, it, it, is not legally old enough to give consent to a, constitute a rape. Uh, though a handful of states specifically have defined rape as forcible sexual intercourse, any form of sexual contact forcible can have long-lasting effects on victims. And most states now recognize forced oral sex and in some form of, uh, of uh, assault as, as rape. Also, we defined uh, molestation. Uh, child uh, molestation is sexual contact with the child. We also have to talk about what is incest. Incest describes sexual contact between family members who are too closely related to marry. While incestuous sexual activity may occur between consenting adults, this is not common. The, the majority of all reported incest occurs as child abuse. Over a third of American uh, sexual assault survivors under the age of 18 are abused by a family member, according to uh, you know, the latest statistics. However, incest is overreported crime is an underreported crime, sorry, so the actual number of incest survivors may be higher. So what we have to do is we also have to look at what is sexual assault, and, and that is a non-consensual sexual contact with another person. Sexual assault includes behavior such as groping or any unwanted sexual touching. Attempted rape also falls into that category of sexual assault. Other forms of sexual abuse, uh, you know, f for children that are engaging in sexual abuse is, uh, you know, uh, pornography or being exposed to uh, nude photos of people without someone's consent. And God forbid, but now that we have internet right in our homes, it actually is uh, available, and people use that to tease children and to get their curiosity up and use pictures, and that is also a form of sexual assault. So, you know, let's, you know the, the deal is you want to tell other people the facts about this and expose uh, sexuality out there. You want to uh, tell your sister, your cousin, your best friend, tell all kinds of people in your life and have an open dialogue about what uh, sexual contact is. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You know, sexual abuse can be stopped if there's a good, healthy dialogue of people understanding what it is. You don't have to use derogatory terms, but what you want is a child that understands, that is empowered, uh, to be able to get when boundaries are being crossed and, and not be ashamed to be able to talk about it. You know, three million child victims a year, you know, that's a lot. Children seldom tell, and, uh, you know, millions keep it a secret. And believe me, I see this in therapy on a continuous basis. Even adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse seldom tell. And uh, when they do, they start, they often just break apart because it's like bringing it from their subconscious to their conscious. Now they're actually recognizing it. And it's usually a downpour of crying and emotion. It's usually extremely difficult for them to bring forward that information that they've stuffed for so many years. But even if you do that as an adult and you know a child molester or a child rapist that is out there and still exposing themselves to children, you still want to bring that forward and try 
to, to expose that individual, whether it's legally, whether it's in your family, but somehow let people know that that person is dangerous. So, you know, how severe is the damage? Some people will say that, that uh, you know, touching a child does no harm. Uh, so, some adults will even tell boys to act like a man and stop whining. Other adults are unsympathetic about the experiences of the adult survivors, and they'll say no matter what happened to the child, that's the past. You're an adult now. Get over it. And, and, and you know, the sad truth is I can't tell you how many times a, 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 a girl has been molested by a family member or someone, uh, usually a stepfather or someone like that or a cousin or an uncle. And the mother uh, will often protect that individual rather than take up for their child, that they'll call their child a liar. And it is so sad because that causes that kid so much damage. They begin to keep secrets. They, can't, they begin to feel ashamed. They begin to feel less than, and they have no one to comfort them. And, and it's so sad to see that. But a lot of women in particular will defend the molester and actually allow it to continue um, and, and just turned a blind eye to that. Now, here's a fact that sexual abuse does harm children and damage often carries over into the child's adult life. Studies show that this damage includes difficulty in forming long relationships, sexual risk-taking that may lead to contracting uh, sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS, physical complaints and physical symptoms like uh, somatic symptoms that I've discussed on other shows like stomach problems, heart murmur, uh, troubles, uh, uh, getting a colds all the time, uh, having headaches all the time, and yet the doctor can never find out why exactly you're having these problems. Also depression, suicidal thoughts, and suicide itself links to failure of the immune system to, uh, to fight illnesses, hospitalizations, early deaths. These are, some, these are some serious things that take place from molestation and rape. Uh, in addition to this, um, the terrible secret that is held so close by family members can go on to tear at the fiber of the family generation after generation. And the truth is also that people that have been sexually molested and raped are often sexually uh, mischievous and, and, and curious because they wonder why it happened to them. I can tell you that a lot of people that have been raped, a lot of people that have been molested become that because what happens is they wonder how this happened to them. And the only way they do it is through experiential uh, knowledge, and that is to be the the person that's done that to to them, and then they do it to someone else. And basically, by doing it, they're exercising their knowledge and their understanding of why it happened to them. It's very sad, but this is a co very common occurrence. I'm not saying it's everybody, but it's out there, and it 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 does lead people to experiment. You know, so is it possible that a a, a child molester is a man who's married, educated, working, religious? Well, yes, you know, uh, uh, we all have to be careful at this point in society because people can actually have a whole different personality, especially on the Internet. Rather than causing a person to molest, being married, educated, working, religious, uh, these are the facts. It's critical that everyone understands that anybody can be a child sexual abuser or a molester or a rapist.
And, and also, uh, analyzing reports of 4,000 uh, kids admitted uh, to, to uh, researchers that in their act- outward characteristics, the child molesters were uh, American men, average uh, closely to the average American man, meaning average in age, average looking, uh, father, uh, married, with children, uh, living a, a professional life. That is actually the case that there are people like that out there. So here's some other facts. Admitted child molesters, married or formerly married. Some college, 46%. Married or formerly married, 77%. Uh, High school only education, 30%. So some college education, 46. High school only, 30%. Of those that were admitted child molesters, working, 69%. Now here's the zinger. Religious, 93%. Here's some other facts. Of the admitted child molesters, uh, this is an Abel and Harlow child molestation prevention study, and it's a little old. It's 1999. But uh, Caucasians, 79%. Hispanic, and by by the way, this is admitted child molesters. This doesn't mean all child molesters. Admitted child molesters, 79% Caucasian, Hispanic, Latin, 9%, African American, 6%, Asian, 1%, Native American, 3%. And, uh, and who do these molesters target? Well, the biological child is 19%. The stepchild, adopted, or foster child, 30%. Brothers and sisters, 12%. Nieces and nephews, 18%. Grandchild, 5%. Child left in my care, filed 5%. And that's children in the neighborhood. Uh, a child of a friend or a neighbor, 40%. Child strangers, 10%. So these statistics are very, very powerful. And, and which children are targeted? Which children are molested? Um, 90% of abusers target children in their own families and children who they know well. Furthermore, research has suggested that across the board, child molesters come from every part of society. So um, who do they look for? Uh, They look for passive, quiet, troubled, lonely children from a single parent or a broken home. And that's from uh, Budin and Johnson. Also, uh, perpetrators frequently seek out children who are particularly trusting who uh, work proactively to establish a trusting relationship after abusing them. And uh, not infrequently, this extends to establishing a trusting relationship with the victim's family as well. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about more facts, and then we're going to talk about causes and healing and what the aftermath looks like and treatment and all that good stuff. So take a break here. We're going to come right back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. 
You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about the very heavy topic of the aftermath of molestation and rape. You know, family structure is the most important risk factor in child sexual abuse. You know, children who live with two married biological parents are a low risk for abuse. The, the risk increases when children live with step-parents or a single parent. Chil- children living with either parent, foster children, for instance, are 10 times more likely to be sexually abused than children that live with both biological parents. You know, the, I, that's what makes me want to fight so hard for people to stay married. Not that they want to be in a miserable marriage, but to teach them how to be married. Because for God's sake, do it for your kids. If you don't love each other, you know, people fall in and out of love every day. The deal is, is that you've got to learn how to take care of yourself and you've got to learn how to be married. And in this day and age, you literally have to be taught how to be married because it is very complex. Okay, now, uh, you know, children who live with a single parent that has a live-in partner are the highest risk. They're 20 times. So, a live-in partner, a non-committed partner, but they're living together. 20 times more likely to be victims of child sexual abuse than children living with both biological parents. So gender is also a major factor in sexual abuse. Females are five times more likely to be abused than males. The age of a male being abused also plays a part. 8% of victims age of uh, 12 to 17 are male. 26 of the victims under the age of 12 are male. So age is a significant factor in child abuse. Females, once again, five times more likely to be abused than males. Age, uh, uh, race, and ethnicity are also an important factor 
identified in sexual abuse. African-American children have almost twice the risk of uh, sexual abuse than white children. Children of uh, Hispanic ethnicity have a slightly greater risk than non-Hispanic white children. Uh, The risk for sexual abuse is tripled for children whose parents are not uh, in the labor force. Tripled for parents that are not in the labor force. Uh, Children in uh, low socioeconomic status households are three times likely to be identified as a victim of of child abuse. Uh, Most studies have reported that children with disabilities are greater risk for sexual uh, abuse. The latest research identified incidents of sexual abuse involving children with disabilities at only half the rate of their non-disabled peers. Children who live in rural areas are almost two times more likely to be identified as victims of sexual abuse. Children who witness or are the victim of other crimes are significantly more likely to be sexually abused. These statistics are powerful, and we have to listen to them and take them to heart if you have children. But also, if you are a child of sexual abuse, you will understand how you are profiled. So what is the cause? You know, uh, usually the cause uh, of suddenly uh, molesting a child in general, sexual abusers act because they fit into one of four broad character, uh, categories. They act because they are children or teenagers who are sexually curious or experimenting. They have a medical or a mental problem that needs treatment. And, and by the way, in uh, homes that uh, help the mentally retarded and the borderline uh, intelligence uh, folks, uh, oftentimes sexual crimes happen those in those uh, homes. And so that is something that is always very strenuously supervised. Um, there are also opportunists who lack feelings for others and who have an antisocial personality. Um, they're also, they have an ongoing sex drive directed towards children. There are people that only have a sex drive for children. And, and children and teenagers are uh, sexually curious by nature. And, and so the curiosity is a major trait. And some teens use much younger children to find out about sex because they can't they can convince the kids to take their clothes off. And most teenage experimenters, as they get older, stop all sexual uh, interactions with children. However, some maintain only an attraction or some attraction for children in their adult life. A a few sexual abusers will sexually touch a child because they are profoundly uh, intellectually disabled or they have developed a brain disorder or they are psychotic. And close supervision when appropriate and and medications to control this can stop some of these molesters. Also, some abusers will sexually touch a child because they have an antisocial personality. And and think uh, anti-society when you think of that. You know, people with this disorder may be social, even glib, uh, you know, because they believe that the rules of society don't apply to them. And they break many of society's rules, especially antisocials that lack feelings for other people. Um, oftentimes that can be found also in the disorder called autism spectrum. And because they believe that the rules of society don't apply to them, and that includes how they interact with children. And, and child molesters in this group appear most often in horrific accounts on television and newspaper. The single greatest cause that drives an adult to sexually interact with a child is a sexual uh, desire for a little girl or a little boy. 
you know, older teenagers and adults fall under this category are called, once again, pedophiles. Their problem is they have a sexual desire directed towards children, and that's called pedophilia. And that is a treatable diagnosis for a therapist or a psychologist to assist someone with. It is a treatable diagnosis, but it is a mental disorder. Also, um, it is, uh, you may be f uh, familiar with the, the disorder. Uh, that means that they're sexually aroused by or have intense uh, reoccurring sexual fantasies or sexual behavior with prepubescent or, or children, toddlers even. They may be aroused by having sexual fantasies of, of children for at least six months. Uh, they have to be at least 16 years old to fall into that diagnosis, and they have to at least uh, uh, have a five-year spread for what they're attracted to. So here's a molestation aftermath. Sexual abuse teaches victims that their bodies are not their own, that they become objects for other people. And victims often report feelings such as shame, terror, depression, guilt, and many blame themselves for the assault. Some of the mental health challenges that these people have is depression, uh, which is uh, the loss of bodily autonomy, which is almost difficult to cope with. It, it can create feelings of hopelessness, despondency, can lead to diminishment of their self-worth. And these feelings can lead to depression that may range from mild to fleeting to intense to debilitating. I mean, it's across the board when you see it. Also, anxiety. You know, for many people who struggle with anxiety, the feelings have no clear source. But for sexual abuse survivors, the loss of bodily autonomy, meaning I don't own my body, coupled with the fear that, uh, that the attack could happen again, can cause intense sexual anxiety. Some may uh, form agoraphobia, which is terrified to leave their home. Others have panic attacks, symptoms of uh, physical anxiety or a chronic fear of the type of person who harmed them. Uh, someone who has uh, raped, been raped by, like, let's say, a, a tall man with, uh, let's say, blue eyes, and uh, may instinctively dislike, mistrust, or fear all in those categories. Also, uh, post-traumatic stress um, might be described in this case as anxiety and depression, intense memories of the abuse, intensely disruptive flashbacks, in some cases, they, may, uh, they might even cause an abusive survivor to uh, lose track of their surroundings. You know, a related, there's people that can't even go back to, let's say, their childhood home because it causes them to have uh, such intense post-traumatic uh, stress. And, and so this is a chronic fear of abandonment, which often comes in people also. And, and that also is paired up with PTSD. Um, they also... Uh, have personality disruptions, which are personality disorders. You can't treat that by medication, can't even treat it by therapy. It's something that they have to cope with, and that's a horrible thing, but that is the aftermath of molestation and rape. Also, uh, personality disruptions, some evidence suggests that uh, borderline personality oftentimes can sometimes be a result of sexual abuse. And the behavior associated with this personality disruptions could actually be an adaptation for abuse. Uh, you know, a characteristic borderline personality is fear of abandonment. And while that fear not, may, may not make sense in, in childhood, avoiding a man, abandonment might have even been what protected someone from child abuse. And so the deal is that these people um, 
push you away and pull you close, push you away and pull you close. They have a very deep fear of attachment, which, by the way, we're going to talk about that on our next show. So uh, attachment disruptions, uh, they can be particularly challenging in children who have been abused uh, because they stop forming healthy attachments with others, especially adults. Adults who are abused as children may experience uh, insecure attachment patterns such as uh, they have a struggle with intimacy and uh, not a good thing, not a good thing. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk more about uh, molestation. And uh, one other thing is addiction. Uh, Addiction research suggests that abuse survivors are 26 times more likely to use drugs. Um, You know, that's unbelievable. Drugs and alcohol can help numb the pain of abuse, but often substance abuse can lead to the development of different concerns. So, you know, we've got to look at this. We've also got to look at triggers that are stimuli, uh, you know, you know, reminders uh, of what it takes to, to have this kind of abuse in your life. And uh, triggers can be uh, very simple things such as uh, uh, knife, uh, looking at someone's knife wounds on television, uh, uh, um, looking at uh, a, a TV show about rape or molestation, uh, watching people uh, have torn or damaged genitals or stuff like that, pictures that people see on internet that can be extremely traumatic to them. So, so what is a treatment? How do we treat people that have been sexually abused? You know, it's, it's a traumatic, life-altering experience. Recovery is always possible, guys. Compassion is what is needed. Someone who understands the trauma, especially sexual trauma, and the effects of sexual trauma, and as someone who's been experienced with working with people who have had this kind of stuff in their life, and that the relationship between the therapist and the person, and that means if you go to a therapist that is a turd, don't stay with them. If you don't feel they have compassion for you and you don't feel like you have a good relationship, don't stay with them. It is very personal to go to the therapy. Pick and choose your therapist. Don't be afraid to go to five, six if that's what you have to do until you finally land on somebody that gets it and gets you um, because it's a very individualistic process. Um, you know, they say, and, and I've seen that exposure therapy often works well when sexual abuse results in a specific fear. For instance, uh, a child sexual abuse victim who is afraid to go to the room where the abuse took place, who, who fears women who wear clothing similar to those worn by an abuser, may benefit from actually being exposed to that room with the therapist or exposed to that person who may trigger them. It is very important for them to understand that not all rooms are responsible for what happened. Not all people like the person who molested them or raped them are like that person. And so, you know, exposing is a very good thing. But also, I do a thing called uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. It's called EMDR. And... uh, It uses subtle eye movements that help rewire, basically, the brain and change the way the survivor processes. You know, EMDR is really cool um, because what it basically does is it, it, the brain thinks it's in the delta stage of sleep. 
And basis, basically by reprocessing the memory with the eye movement, which the, the optical nerve goes all the way back to the brain stem, the brain is ab- able to actually consciously reprocess the event and resort the furniture. The, the brain does not forget the event, but what it does do with EMDR is it puts a window between the event and the person, meaning that they look at the event and they're no longer emotionally charged about the event. They actually can look at it as a memory. It exposes them to it, but it also relieves them of the feelings attached to it, and that's what EMDR does in a nutshell. But also there's this thing, and it's a, the most common approach uh, to treatment of PTSD because a lot of people in, in this field don't have a lot of tools around this is cognitive behavioral therapy and that uh, can help survivors abandon maladaptive approaches you know such as a man who's abused as a child may be so afraid of intimacy that he needs to avoid romantic relationships and they can help this this cognitive uh, therapy can help him uncover the automatic thoughts that cause him to avoid intimacy enabling him to steadily work towards healthy relationships and behaviors. And so that is some of the treatments that are used in the professional arena, which is what is called for when you're dealing with child rape and molestation or a person being raped in their adult life or molested. You know, uh, there's a lot of stigmas around sexual assault survivors. Uh, they... they uh, were attitudes that promote and permit ra- uh, rape pervade. Only 32% of rapes are reported to police, and many victims report that they are met with skepticism and blame when they discuss what has happened to them. Police officers, doctors, family members may imply or outright state that the victim's clothing, behavior, or choice of entertainment uh, invited the attack. The result is a culture in which most perpetrators face few consequences. Only 2% of rapists ever serve a single day in prison, 2%. Other myths about sexual assault can further isolate and stigmatize victims. Uh, Those myths include the notion that rape and sexual abuse are rare, that fighting off an attacker is easy, that having an orgasm during a violent attack means the victim actually wanted it, and that people with extensive sexual experience cannot be victimized. Some people continue to insist date rape is not a problem or marital rape is not really rape. Yeah, it's non-consensual, guys. It is rape. Incest is a highly stigmatized type of assault. And, and I'm talking about, once again, incest. And many survivors of incest feel ashamed, embarrassed, or guilty. And incest, once again, is in family biological people in family uh, touching or having sexual experience with each other. Many, many people believe incest is rare because it's not often reported or discussed, but increasing awareness around incest and its prevalence uh, in society uh, may help reduce stigmatism. You know, there are actually some places in society that accept incest, and it is sad, but I've seen it, and, and uh, it's out there. Because the topic of sexual abuse is both personal and traumatizing, many victims, as a stigma, feel deeply ashamed. Media reports erroneously refer to rape as sex and can contribute to the shame that a person feels. It is not sex. It is rape. And this creates what's called a rape culture where rape is accepted. And this sense of shame that, that, that the victims go through for years, people telling them that their, deb- their abuse was a decision, 
makes them feel even more abused and and more victimized and I can tell you it contributes to a lot of people going through a lot of therapy in this life and some people just stuffing it and living a very miserable life and having attachment problems all right we're going to talk about rape itself and uh, we're going to talk about the topic of rape or consent and uh, we're going to go on into the healing all right we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Life is a journey which never gets easier. As we go through life, we just handle things better as we get to know ourselves. Listen for The Mental Sherpa by Theta Spring. Host Alexandra Janelli believes that each of us are pre-programmed with all the answers and tools we need to move through any situation life throws at us. It's discovering those tools and answers that will set us on the right path to enjoying and navigating life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email... It'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about molestation and rape. And in particular, I'm going into the topic of rape because there are so many people out there that have been victims of rape or some of you, God forbid, may be rapists. So, you know, the deal is all over the world, uh, there is rape tolerance, rape denial, rape ignorance. And uh, (laughs) there's all kinds of... uh, uh, ways that w- restrict women's reproductive rights and impede on women's equality. And at worst, rape is used strategically and with violence and um, malevolence as a weapon in war and as a tool of active oppression. And, and out there in these third world countries, there is not what we in, in first world countries think is safety and protection and law enforcement. The world at large uh, often looks by rape and doesn't really face the fact that women in their society are at a great danger. They go into a great sense of denial. Uh, 
But here's some important uh, things. Here's a myth that sexual assault is caused by lust or uncontrollable sexual urges and the need for sexual gratification. Here's a fact. Sexual assault is an act of physical violence and a domination that is not motivated by sexual gratification. Once a man gets sexually aroused, he can just stop. Well, men do not physically need to have sex after becoming sexually excited. Moreover, they're still able to control themselves after becoming aroused. Here's another myth. Women often lie about sexual assault or falsely accuse someone of sexual assault. You know, statistical studies indicate false reports make up about 2% or less of the reported cases of sexual assault. This figure is uh, is approximately the same for other types of crimes that are reported. Also, here's another myth. Women provoke sexual assault by their appearance. Sexual attractiveness is a primary reason why a perpetrator selects a victim. You know, here's a fact. Perpetrators do not select their victims by their appearance. They select victims who are vulnerable and accessible. Victims of sexual assault range in age from groups from infants to elderly. Sexual attractiveness is not an issue. Sexual assault is, is, and here's another myth, sexual assault is, is a topic that only concerns women and men do not have to be concerned about sexual assault. According to recent sexual assault uh, crisis center to statistics, men, both straight and gay, suffer 10% of the sexual assaults reported in the United States last year. In addition, men have, uh, uh, men have wives, friends, sisters, mothers, daughters who may someday need assistance in coping with sexual assault. So sexual assault is a concern for everybody. Uh, here's another myth. If a woman really did not want to be sexually assaulted, she could fight off her attacker. Well, you know, even if the perpetrator is not carrying a weapon, the element of surprise, shock, fear, or the threat of harm can overpower any victim out there. So we have to look at all this information and really get to understand what this is all about. You know, um, you know, rape or consent, saying yes under the influence of alcohol and any controlled substance, you know, alcohol is, is the number one date rape drug. And yes, alcohol is considered a drug, which uh, comes to no surprise since it's the most common drug that people use. So a study done in the National uh, uh, Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism shows that one half, one half of sexual assault cases involve alcohol consumption by the victim, perpetrator, or both. And the presence of alcohol in a person's system can significantly influence their decision-making and their sense of control. So no matter if they agree to having sex or even introduce the idea themselves, it cannot be considered a, an acceptable response. It's still rape. You know, men can be raped too. While it's more common for women to be victims of sexual assault, that doesn't disqualify because 9% of sexual victims are men. Man-on-man -man sexual assault is more common. But woman-on-man occurs and should not be dismissed. Women are just as capable of taking sexual advantage of a man and dismiss the idea of being a victim of sexual assault isn't giving support to a rape vis a victim like that to, to a man. You know, it, it's not like all men want that. Also, uh, being in a relationship does not entitle you to someone's body. So, you know, 30% of adult rape cases were committed by husbands, common-law partners, or boyfriends. 29% of all sexual assaults of adult women were perpetrated by a husband or lover. 
You know, this is something that we have to understand. Just because you're married or in a committed relationship doesn't mean you own each other's bodies. And you need to know when to stop. You know, there is a certain pressure regarding changing your mind while being with someone. It's absolutely important to note that if in, at any given point you or your partner wants to stop, you stop. No one has an obligation to continue during uh, doing something that they're un, un, uncomfortable with. Saying yes to one thing does not necessarily equal saying yes to another thing. So everyone has the right to say no at any given point in a relationship. Also, looking at uh, persuasion and, and consent, giving your partner uh, a yes should not be your only goal. If you don't take no for an answer, then that yes has absolutely no value. So if you're a person that doesn't take uh, no for an answer and you continue to pester until you get a yes, that does not mean you got consensual sex from your partner. And so, um, you know, consent, the bottom line is consent is required for all sexual contact, all sexual contact. Um, you know, consent may also be withheld in a number of ways. The recipient uh, may use words like no or let's just cuddle or giving an excuse to stop the activity like I'm dating someone or I want to go to sleep or the actions of the recipient may demonstrate a lack of consent such as turning away moving the other person's hand, stopping any participation, that means that they're saying no. Indeed, silence may indicate non-consent. For example, not responding positively to a, a question about sexual act. Setting no and stating no sets the barrier to the activity, but it's, it's not an in invitation to keep trying. So, you know, the deal is if the body signs are saying no, you better take it as a no. Also, you know, you can't presume you just can't presume. Uh, engaging in sexual activities has been routine for years for many people. But for other people, it's not. It's not routine. It is very uh, uh, strange. And it, it may be something that they don't do frequently or it may be something that they're saving for a partner, but they don't know how to set boundaries. So you have got to be very, very strong in getting consent from each other that it has to be something that both are grounded in. And once again, consent for one activity does not mean consent for all. So, you know, just because you're making out and it's heavy or just because, you know, may you be touching somewhere inappropriate or kissing somewhere doesn't mean that it's consent to go farther and farther and farther and farther. Uh, you know, consent to vaginal intercourse does not mean consent to anal intercourse. <laughs> That's another thing. You know, anal intercourse is rape also. If it's a no, it's no. And anal, you know, God... That can cause all kinds of damage, especially if somebody has never had. Oh, my God. Yuck. All right. The responsibility for misinterpretation when, when, when either party has been drinking falls on the initiator and not the person that is being pursued. So, you know, here's from the mouth of rapists. Uh, the first thing men look for in a victim is hairstyle. They're, they're not mo most likely to go after a woman with a ponytail, a bun, or a braid, or a, or a hairstyle that can easily be grabbed. They are all, excuse me, that's who they're looking for. They most likely are going for somebody with a ponytail, a bun, or a braid as a hairstyle. And they're also likely to go after a woman with long hair because women with short hair are, are not common targets. Hard to get a hold of them. Also, the second thing they're looking for is clothing. They'll look for a woman whose clothing is easily removed. They're also looking for a woman 
on their cell phone, searching for their purse, doing other activities while walking because they're off guard and can be easily overpowered. And once again, this is from the mouths of rapists. Men are most likely to attack and rape early in the morning between 5 a.m. and 8.30. So women, when you're out there walking by yourself, you better have some spray or something because you're out there in the public eye and people are driving by and God knows what's in that car. Okay, now, the number one place women are abducted or attacked is a grocery store parking lot. The number two is office parking lots and garages, and three is public restrooms. So the thing about these rapists is that they are looking to grab a woman and quickly move her to another location. So if you haven't got that from what I've said earlier, that's the bottom line. Only 2% of these rapists said they carried weapons because rape carries a three to five year sentence, but rape with a weapon is 15 to 20. So many of them don't have weapons. Also, if you put up any kind of fight at all, they get discouraged because it only takes a minute or two for them to realize that going after you isn't worth it because it will be time consuming. And these uh, uh, rapists also said they would not pick on women who have umbrellas or similar objects that can be used from a distance in their hands. Um, Keys are not a deterrent because you have to get really close to the attacker to use them. So the idea is to convince these guys that you're not worth it if you're out there. Several defense mechanisms uh, that that, uh, are taught is that if someone is uh, following behind you on a street or in a garage or in an elevator, look them in the face and ask them a question like, what time is it? Make general small talk. Like, I can't believe it's so cold out here. We're in for bad weather. Now you've seen them, their face, and they know you know who they are, and that will help them, help you scare them. I'm not saying you should do that for everybody because some people are so creepy it's pathetic. But that's one way you could possibly uh, deter someone. If someone's uh, coming towards you, hold your hands in front of you, yell stop and stay back. And most of the rapists uh, will leave a woman alone if she is yelled or showed that she would not be afraid to fight back. Also, carry pepper spray uh, and tell them you got pepper spray and hold it out as a deterrent. If someone grabs you, And you can't beat them with strength, but you can outsmart them. If you're grabbed around the waist from behind, pinch the attacker either under the arm or between the elbow and the armpit or the upper arm or the inner thigh. Very, very hard. One woman, uh, you know, one woman had reported that she pinched a guy under the arm and uh, he was trying to rape her and basically left the mark on him. And by doing that, he was able to be prosecuted. And that's a story that I read on the Internet, which is very interesting. After initial hit, always go for the groin, the groin first. Um, you know, this is extremely painful and it, it debilitates them. And then you can run. When a guy puts his hands up to you, grab his two fingers, bend them back as far as possible as much pressure pushing down on them as possible. And also be aware of your surroundings. Say, take someone with you if you can. And if you see odd behavior, don't dismiss it. Go with your instincts. Always your instincts. So, you know, here are some many ways you, you uh, can consider following uh, to try to help yourself. You know, check in with your self-esteem. Do you feel that you're a, not a worthwhile person that makes you a target? Do you feel uh, bad or dirty or ashamed of yourself, that makes you a target. Do you have a hard time nurturing yourself? Makes you a target. Do you have to be perfect? Guess what? Makes you a target. Um, do you always have to be exposed to how you feel? 
that makes you a target because they can start to empathize with you. Do you feel like you're always a victim? Well, guess what? That makes you a target. You know, if you don't have confidence in your body and you have a very uh, sense that your body is not good, that also can make you a target. And, and uh, so you have to become very, very aware. Also, uh, you know, if you're going to introduce yourself sexually and, and expose yourself as a very sexual person, you're going to invite uh, unwanted uh, visitors. So that's our show. Our next show is The Fear of Attachment, Loneliness, and a World Full of Assholes. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. Once again, the next show is Fear of Attachment, Loneliness, and a World Full of Assholes. So I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Remember, there is a common fear that all people have that while sitting on the toilet, someone will come out of the drain and bite your ass. Also, the next time you see someone sitting on the edge of a tall structure, realize that they're only one fart away from death. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.